Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm the, the campus pastor here. Um, and we are talking in this in this sermon series here about uh, the false advertising of sin. So, have have any of you guys ever been the victim of false advertising, where you've expected to get something um, totally different than what you got, and not not in a good way? Like uh, maybe you went through the drive-through expecting the one on the left, but when you got home, you found this smashed thing on the right. Or this one really, this one really makes me mad. How about this? I mean, you wake up and you want this soft, warm pastry with lots of frosting on it, and you get this cardboard with like a joke, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you don't rely on the store to provide it. Maybe you do it. Maybe you hit Pinterest and you decide that you're going to save some money, right? By by <laughs> by doing it yourself, right? And and then sometimes you put even more work into it, and it still is not what you had thought you could do. This is my example right here. I tried to make this birdhouse thing on the, on the left because it's super easy to make, and I ended up with this thing on the right, um, which the flowers make it look a little bit better there, but um, it's in our chicken coop now, and they poop on it. Um, but, you know, in a sense, this is exactly what sin does. Right? Sin um, is a great f- false advertiser, but the expectation doesn't match the reality. Um, you know, when we, a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about a definition of sin, and, I, and I, I explained that sin is going our own way instead of God's. Right? The fact is, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you so much more than you want to pay. See, sin is so much deeper than just breaking God's rules. Sin's a destructive pattern of choices that ruin lives. And you know, I mean, let's be honest. Sure, sin can be fun for a time, but ultimately it destroys us. It, it destroys our relationships. It isolates us from the ones that we love. See, sin takes good things and it distorts them. In the long term, sin does the opposite of what we think that it'll do. It brings despair, not fulfillment. Ultimately, sin never, ever delivers on its promises. So this sermon series is on the seven deadly sins, right? We're in the third week of this. Um, And the goal of this series is not moral perfection, Right, because we can't get there. We we know that we cannot we cannot be perfect. But rather, we are learning to rely on God's power to change us from from the inside out. And I'll let me tell you the end of the lesson right here at the beginning. Uh, the solution to our sin problem begins and ends with God. We are incapable of fixing our sin problem ourselves. In fact, the only thing that we are capable of 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 providing here is the sin. That's it. That's all we can do. Now, this, this isn't an exhaustive list of, of sins, but rather just some, some key ones um, that, that take hold of us and destroy our lives. This is really more a list of categories than the specific list of, of sins. And some of these sins may affect some of us more than others. But the truth is we are all affected and infected by sin. So far, um, we've looked at pride and greed 
and we've seen how destructive they are in our lives. And maybe some of us uh, felt, maybe we had some surprise about the conviction that we felt in our heart as we've gone through those, those last two uh, weeks' lessons. But today, we're going to talk about the deadly sin of lust. Now, um, you know, we, earlier this morning, somebody reminded me there's a lot of things that we can lust after, right? Money, status, power, titles, possessions, you name it, lots of different things. But when most of us think of lust, I, th- I would guess that we, we generally think of sexual lust. And the, the dictionary, it says, lust is a strong feeling of sexual desire. Now, before we get into this difficult topic, and it is a difficult topic, before we do that, I want to offer some encouragement. Guys, there is nothing that God can't handle. And maybe you feel like it's impossible to overcome something that you've done, something that you are still doing, or something that has been done to you. But there is hope. God offers comfort and forgiveness and healing. And with God, all things are possible. So our first point is this. Lust is a false pathway to sexual fulfillment, turning a good thing into a selfish thing. Now, have you ever wondered why there is such a negative connotation with sex when it comes to Christianity? Many people believe that Christians are are anti-sex, but that's because they knowingly ignore God's design and instruction for marriage. And the world doesn't understand the difference between lust and healthy sexual desire. But the Bible and Jesus say that sex is a good thing. In fact, there's a whole book that talks pretty graphically about how good and exciting sex is. It's the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, God said to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. In other words, God is telling Adam and Eve to have sex, to have children. It's a blessing. See, he didn't have to make sex a blessing. It could have been a joyless, unintimate act, but, it, but God instead designed it to be good. And Jesus echoed this exact passage thousands of years later in Matthew 19, where he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now this word united is referring to sexual intimacy within marriage, the way God designed it. So here's what we know. Sex is a good thing created by God for marriage. Believe that. But we also need to know that sex has been twisted and abused. So remember, sin takes a good thing and perverts it. Lust is sin because it takes a selfless thing and makes it a selfish thing. When you're lusting after someone, the priority is you and your needs the opposite of what sex was intended to be, selfless. At the root of of lust is objectifying someone for your own selfish pleasure. And this can even happen in marriage. We use the other person to get what we want, and then we're done. Now, I'm very attracted to my wife, but sadly, 
lust can creep in and I can view her as an object for my satisfaction as well. So this brings up a good question. What is the line between lust and attraction? Well, let's look at one of uh, the most famous examples of lust in the Bible. So we're talking about David here, right? This is King David. This is David and the Goliath David. And this is later on in his life. And it says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Now, when we read the whole story, we can see that David really messes up. But where does it, where does it seem that lust comes into play there? I believe that lust began when David decided to do something about it. See, noticing Bathsheba's beauty was a natural response. Choosing to do something about it was a lustful and sinful response. Now, I've heard it said that the difference between noticing and lusting is the double take, right? You look and kind of look back again and, get and, and, and soak it in or, or let your thoughts run. Now, we can't, we can't choose whether or not to think someone is attractive, but we can choose to dwell on it and, and further those lustful thoughts which as we see turned into something so much, so much uh, more for David. And this, and this uh, shows us our second point, which is that lust has a bigger impact than we think, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. David lusted after Bathsheba. He essentially, he chased after, he sent some people you know, to hunt her down pretty much, right? made her come to the palace, slept with her, and got her pregnant. And the story goes on. So, well, what, so, so what's he do then? Uh, he, as you read the rest of the, the passage, he finds out who her husband was, brings him home from war, tries to get Uriah to go sleep with Bathsheba, and he won't do it. So David sends him back to war, up, orders him to go to the front lines, into combat, then orders the general to pull back so that Uriah is killed in action. See, the chain reaction of David's lust, he commits adultery, he lies, he deceives, he schemes, he has, another, he has a, a, an innocent man murdered. See, the lust wasn't just a physical act. It was so much more than that. It continued to grow. This is what lust does. It starts, it starts small, and then it becomes exponential. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 5. He says, anyone who, who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So is, is Jesus literally wanting us to gouge our eye out or cut off our hand? No, he, he's not. As you know, was common in that day, teachers uh, would often use extreme examples to show the seriousness of the, of the topic. And is this suggesting that, that lust is worse than other sins? No, it, it's not. But it is a big problem that if left unattended, will become an even bigger problem as, 
as David demonstrated for us in that passage. And this is the point that, that Jesus is making. It is better to sacrifice now than to suffer later. The more we allow lust to take hold of our lives, the more powerful it will become. So let's talk about this in the 21st century and, and how this verse applies to us. Today, a, um, a huge instigator of lust is pornography, a $100 billion a year industry. So here's some statistics about that. <clears throat> As of May of this year, porn sites received more website traffic in the United States than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. In 2019 alone, the equivalent of 6,650 centuries of porn was consumed on one of the world's largest porn sites. The average age when children first see porn is 11 years old. And one-third of those addicted to pornography are women. Some of those are probably pretty surprising stats to a lot of us. And some of them are probably not all that surprising to some of us. It really is something that affects all of us, directly and indirectly. And the thing is, porn is extremely difficult to avoid. Many young kids are exposed to it at very early ages. I was. And it's not only easy, easily available through technology these days, but it is aggressively pursuing us. And it's aggressively pursuing our children. Porn shaped the way that I view sex. Taught me things about sex that were unhealthy and unrealistic. And it really did affect uh, my whole being. In fact, it still negatively affects me today, even years later. Lust and really all sin affects all areas of our life. There's no denying that. And this is why Paul highlights the importance of God healing us in multiple ways. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the thing is, if we're going to have victory in the lust battle, we have to realize that it affects every area of our lives, physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual. We have to take it seriously, seriously and we can't minimize its effect on us. And then, and this is going to be hard for a lot of us, then we have to confess it because lust feeds on secrecy and starves in transparency. Now, I think, I think many of us overestimate our ability to control the situation. Um, if you don't believe me, think about how quickly you went through all of that extra Halloween candy in your house while you were trying to eat well. For a couple of days, you were probably holding out, but then ultimately, we fail. We tell our things... We tell, we tell ourselves things like, this is the last time I'm going to click on that website. This is the last time I'm going to look at that person. This is the last time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that place or I'm going to entertain those thoughts. Guys, good, good intentions pave the way to destruction. The thing is, is, if you're not starving lust, you are feeding it. There is no neutral ground with it. 
And there's a lot that we can do to combat lust in our lives. You can go to the gym with a friend. You can turn off all your electronics at a, at a certain time or limit it from certain behaviors. Delete your social media. Put safeguards on your phones, your computers, your tablets, things like that. But I want to keep it simple for you today. The first and, and most important step in the process is confession. When it comes to lust, many of us are ashamed and embarrassed to admit that we struggle with it. It's not like pride and greed over the last couple of weeks. There's a, often a, some more social shame associated with, with lust. But it is okay to admit that you don't have it all together in this area. Many people have tried to starve lust on their own. And, and it, it might work, you know, might work for a little while. Um, and then they fall back into it again, and then they feel more shame. It isn't until they do one thing that they have consistent victory in this area, and that is confess. And I know that this can seem daunting, maybe even overwhelming, but I want you to look at these two, these two verses that I think are very, very helpful here. First, in in 1 John 1, it says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And the next one in James says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So there are two types of confession, to God and to others. And, and most of us confess it to God, which is the most important, of course but we shouldn't stop there. We should confess to others because this helps us to have accountability. But notice the, the fruit of confession in these two verses. In, in that first one, it talks about forgiveness and in the second, healing. God is able and faithful to forgive anything no matter how bad we think our sin is. Guys, he went to the cross and he took our, our sin and our shame upon himself and he and he died and he rose again on the third day so that you could be forgiven and spend eternity with him so you know maybe you're sitting here today and you have struggled with this and you've kept your your lust to yourself <clears throat> hiding it from your your family your friends those who care about you but i promise you this 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 prison that you're living in by keeping this sin hidden is far worse than the pain of admitting it and beginning the, that, that road to healing. Proverbs 28 backs this up. It says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The longer it's hidden from God and others, the harder it is going to be to confess. Now, if you are in a marriage that has a problem with this sin of lust, I want to remind you that you are a team. You've been paired up like lab partners here. And Satan would love nothing more than to use lust to destroy your marriage. So there are two things that your team needs to do here to get and stay healthy. Number one, as I already said, we need to confess to your spouse. Let them know what you, uh, what you are working through and how you plan to get accountability. And then get into God's word 
together and pray about this together. And number two, for the spouse, the Bible has some some lab work for you to do as well. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, that says 1 Corinthians 5, but it's actually in 7. It says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, we don't want to abuse this. In no way does this passage negate the responsibility of the offending spouse to win over, be romantic, and create a safe environment for intimacy. We must always be working to fill the love bank. Now, Paul is, is talking here about a relationship that is doing the rest of that work. And the longer you wait to do that work, the longer you'll go without experiencing freedom and healing. If I am talking to you today, today's the day. No more waiting. Take this struggle with lust to God and be forgiven. Pray that he would reveal to you his mercy and healing. Pray that he would give you strength and resources to have consistent victory. Pray that he would give you the courage to open up to those closest in your life to ask forgiveness and begin that road of healing. Whether that's your spouse or a friend or your pastor or your mentor. And to those who may be the recipient of someone opening up to them. If someone has the courage to confess and ask for forgiveness from you on this, I ask that you treat them how Christ treats all of us who are entangled in sin ourselves. Show them grace and mercy and love. Can you guys pray with me? Lord God, um, this, uh, this, this topic is kind of, kind of tough to talk about. It's, it's tough to deliver, um, and it might be tough for people to hear. Lord, but I believe very much that you, that you spoke on this topic because you knew how much this, this sin of lust affects so many of us. And Lord, it is, it is difficult to talk about, and it is difficult sometimes to, to open up and confess it to other people. And Lord, we, we may feel comfortable confessing it to you. And I ask that anybody that's in this room that, that needs to confess this would do that with you, Lord, but also that you would give them the strength to, to step out of that comfort zone and to confess this to their spouse, to their friend, to their mentor, to the pastor, so that they can have accountability, so that they can have a consistent victory over this sin and, 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 and every other sin in their lives too. Lord, ultimately, we are so thankful for the grace and love and mercy that you give us. And, and we, we readily and heartily accept that, Lord. Lord, we just want to lift you up and, and thank you so much and tell you that we are, we are in love with you, Jesus, and we thank you. And say this in, in your name, amen.